Well, thank you, Janet. I've learned that the Christian life is really about taking chances and having those chances come back to me in ways that I've never imagined. I mean, take, for example, three years ago when I first came to uh, seminary, and Joan at the time had just ta- replaced Katrina, and me not being a student, I heard about her position and her being the uh, dean of student life. And I didn't really have, any, I was just taking a few courses, I didn't really have any a specific interest in uh, maybe saying hi, but I just felt, well, it would be nice just to make myself known. And so I, I uh, went over to uh, Joan, and she had one of these uh, come to uh, know your, uh, your dean type of opportunities. And I went to her, and the conversation went something like this. I said, hey, Joan, you know, it seems like you only get PhD or demon people to speak at chapel. And Joan retorted in her loud voice, well, you, you don't know how God works. Maybe one day you'll be speaking up here too. <laughs> and so who would have thought that three years later, it didn't come from Joan, but someone else I just met a day later who would ask me for the first time to come to preach. Another time that I remember is, my, again, my first class was biblical interpretation of Dr. Eidstrom at seminary. And who would have thought that the person sitting right next to me would be none other than Yunnan, our IT director? <laughs> and so, I didn't know at the time. I just thought he was just some older fellow who wanted to learn about <laughs> the Bible. And I, said, I shared with him my testimony, and he said to me, um, he said, well, why don't you give me your resume, and we will talk later. <laughs> and so, a day later... I meet up in the office with Jason Carson, who is the guy I, I currently replace, I'm replacing. And I wasn't looking for work back then, but we kept kind of in touch a little bit. And who would have thought that three years later, Jason, who had just started his business analyst role, would be replaced by me three years later? Just the opportunity is just totally unfathomable to me. And I really think that these stories are a reflection of our passage today. It's going to be Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1 to 6. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1 to 6, or up on the screen. I'm just going to read the first two verses, starting out with verse 1 and 2. It says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you will not know what disaster may happen on the earth. And so certainly as we read this first verse, we, we wonder in mystery about the literal meaning. Certainly if you throw your bread upon the waters, what will happen is if you ever do get it back, it will just come back a piece of soggy bread. Or if you cast your bread upon the waters, the seagulls will go and eat it. Or if you cast your bread upon the waters, your mother will scold you for throwing away good food. So what exactly is going on? Certainly the literal meaning is not the most appropriate here. In fact, if you look at your NIV Bibles, the 2011 edition has it phrased much better, ship your grain across the sea. And I think that's the best way we can interpret it, shipping your grain across the sea. You see, if it is uh, King Solomon who wrote this passage in Ecclesiastes, we know that King Solomon, he, he created huge trading fleets. And with these ships, they carried gold and silver, ivory, Peacocks, even apes. I don't even know how they stuck an ape on a ship, but somehow they did. It says that in 1 Kings 10. But the main commodity 
of the Israelites was grain. And so King Solomon, as he's writing this, he's looking out and he's seeing his ships being loaded with grain and sending them off, literally casting his bread upon the waters, casting his grain upon the waters. And this is my first, um, this is the first thing I take out of this passage, is that I see that this is a passage about risk and diversity. And the, thing, the safest thing that we can do in our lives is to hoard and to isolate ourselves from other people. And when you hoard things, you have full control over everything that you have. But the thing is that when you hoard items, is that you don't get anything else. There is no return when you hoard things. That's all you got. And so King Solomon understood that the only way you can get a reward is by taking a risk. Literally, like it says in verse 2, giving a portion to seven or even eight. And so as, we, as he is giving it out, he understands that when we take risks, you diversify, you spread around the risk around different ventures in case one fails. And I tend to think that that's the same thing about our faith too, isn't it? That the saying goes, there is no free lunch. And that there is work involved in our faith, that we have to take risks with our faith. And my point is, and I want to ask you today, what kind of risks do you take with your faith? If I were your pastor to say, or if you're already a pastor, someone who's in more senior authority, if they were to take a look at your faith, a portfolio of your faith, par se, and they, say, and they see all the toil and labor that you've done in the past few years, will they see a person who risks much and who gains much? Would your pastor see the fruits of the Spirit as a reward coming from all your toil and labor? Or do they see a person that just looks out for themselves? How big is your world today? What kind of people do you hang around with? Do they all think the same way you do? Talk the same way you do? Agree with everything that you agree with? What about when you go home? What about when you share the gospel? Are you taking risks to share the gospel? How much are you putting yourself on the line? If you're studying at Tyndale, let me ask you this. Are you willing to take the risk that what you believe and everything that you've built up to this date is wrong? If you're working at Tyndale, are you willing to take the risk to go beyond just the minimum work ethic? To take a chance to minister to others that maybe come from a church that you're not originally from? As it says here, cast your bread upon the waters. Let me encourage you today. Cast your bread not, on the, not just on the seas, but cast your bread on the Holy Spirit, the living water of God, and you will find a return. I have experienced that. I believe it with all my heart. But why should we take such kind of risks for our faith? That's when we get into our verse 3 and verse 4. For it says in verse 3 in Ecclesiastes, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. You see, the reason we take risks in our faith, that we don't stay in one world in a bubble, is because there are calamities in life that are inevitable. And that, as it says, the clouds are full of rain. That talks about flooding. And that trees will fall down and they never get back up. 
Now, I don't think Solomon was thinking about taking a chainsaw, just going cutting a tree down and saying, oh, well, take a look at that. The tree just can't get back up. Certainly another, we need to look at this more figuratively. As we understand the tree to be a symbol of power, growth, refuge, healing. Remember in Psalm 1, the tree that sits by the streams of living water? I believe this is the type of tree that Solomon is writing about. And the north and the south, perhaps understood as a boundary line of Israel. As we understand, Israel was, and Judah was separated in north and south. Uh, Daniel talks about the kings coming from the north and the south. And so it's talking about these places of refuge and power, rulers, safe havens that will collide. They will fall. Once the tree falls, it will not get back up. And so there really is no safe haven. We can construct for ourselves uh, uh, our own world, but here Solomon talks against it. Where the tree falls, it will lie. We need to take risks. We need to diversify. We need to live our life as though tomorrow was our last. Because as it says in verse 2 again in Ecclesiastes, you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. More so a further warning in verse 4. Those who fail to take risks are like these kind of people. They are the type of people who wait for perfect conditions. Perhaps these are the people who procrastinate or they are like, as it says here, the person who observes the wind and does not sow. A farmer who waits for zero wind speed so that none of his seeds will be scattered. As you recall the parable of the sower, he scattered the seeds out. It's known as uh, shallow farming. And so Solomon is talking against these type of people, people who wait for perfect conditions, people who wait for 0% chance of rain on the weather forecast. As it says in verse 4, he who regards the clouds will not reap. It's a person who waits for 0% rain so that they won't get wet and catch a cold when they harvest. I wonder if today we, some of us are like this as well. Maybe we, all we do is we sit in a closet and we pray all day and we take no action. Again, there's a, there's a warning against this. I call it building the fence syndrome. In other words, we build our world around this, we hedge our world around a fence. And inside, when we are inside the fence, we are safe. And we'll never get hurt and we'll never get disappointed or sad, but we stay within this world that we've constructed. And we're hesitant to jump outside the fence and to take a risk. I was counseling a friend recently, and uh, he was asking me about some dating advice. He said, uh, there's this woman that I like. I knew this woman. She was, uh, they were both walking with the Lord. Um, and uh, I asked him, he asked me, well, should I date her? And so I asked him a couple of questions. I said, uh, okay, well, do you like her? Yes. Does she like you? Yes. Well, did you tell her that you like her? Yes. Well, have you prayed about it? Sure. Then, how do I know, and he said this to me, how do I know that this is the one for me? How do I absolutely know? And you know what? He's exactly doing what I was saying here. He's constructing the fence. He's trying to make a perfect condition, and he knows that this is absolutely God's will. Again, we can't be like that. We have to take risks, even in relationships. Verse 5 and 6, 
as it says, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones of the womb, sorry, bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So in the morning, sow your seed, and at the evening, withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. I believe, again, God challenges us with the following questions. Do you know the way of the wind? Another translation, better asked, is, do you not know how a baby is formed in the mother's womb? You see, if we assume that we live in a subpar, nominal, self-centered life, and that God will protect us indefinitely, and we can just keep living like this, I really believe that, as it says here, God rebukes us, and he says, you do not know the work of God who makes everything. I think we presume on God when we try to live this kind of world. And God says, you don't know me. You don't understand the way my spirit works. You don't understand the wind, and nor do you understand how a baby is formed. Therefore, verse 6, in the morning, sow your seed, and at the evening, withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Work diligently, and let's diversify all the time, because not all investments we make will prosper. There's always a risk, and there's always a chance that we will get hurt in our faith. But that's okay. Failing is okay. As it says here in verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it after many days. I'm reminded of a person in our Bible who did this day in and day out. He said these following words. He said, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jew, I became a Jew. To those under the law, I became like those under the law. And to the weak, I became weak. I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save self. Cast your bread upon the waters today. Amen. <laughs>